now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello and a very good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to this week's Talkin'. On the programme today, after the Jeremy Kyle show was axed, is it time to get rid of all so-called reality TV programmes? A former guest on the show is telling us about his experiences. You just spend all day locked in a room with runners running in outside the room, playing games and playing you off each other to rive you up. Also between now and midday, I'll be speaking to the MSP Alex Cole Hamilton, who wants to stop us walking on by when we see that someone needs help. You changed the law and made it illegal for somebody not to offer assistance at the scene of an accident. Then people would actually seek out first aid training because they'd want to know what to do if they were ever called upon to do it. Tell me what you think of his idea for a good Samaritan law. And have you got it in you to become a foster carer? Scotland needs to find nearly 600 loving families like Rosemary's. Usually whatever's happened is certainly not their fault. But these children from a very young life have got very complicated and very sad stories to tell. Music and conversation for the next couple of hours. This is Scotland's Talking. If you'd like to join us, here's the number 0333 2020 401. Well, it's gone and his light detector is now off our screens as well. ITV has cancelled the programme after one of the guests on the show apparently took his life in the days following filming. So here's my question this morning. Is it time to get rid of all the so-called reality TV shows? Now, if you weren't a regular viewer... Here's a little taste of what Jeremy Kyle's show could be like. You cheated on him four times, love. That was in the past. What are you all about? They have accused you of stealing from their dad, haven't they? I don't think so. They've accused you, haven't they? Well, I don't know. Yes, you do. Don't lie to me. Yeah. The man who died was 63-year-old Steve Diamond, who apparently failed a lie detector test he'd taken on the show to prove he had not been unfaithful. Babette Lucas Marriott was in the audience and says it was very uncomfortable to watch. You could see his his whole life just got ripped from him in front of us. He'd lost his family as a result of this test and we were expected to watch and find it entertaining. The audience was shocked. I mean, the first two stories had been a lot of laughter, a lot of participation, but it just completely changed. It, it, people gasped and then just went silent. No one knew what how to react the staff were all you know like this big pantomime encouraging everyone but really like loads of fun big experience um but that just wasn't the reality you know when the real people came on stage itv insists they do look after the welfare of participants and jeremy kyle's put out a statement saying the whole team is devastated about mr diamond's death Danny Fuller from West Lothian has appeared on the programme several times. He told our chief reporter, Hope Webb, that the support he received was patchy. The aftercare on show one was perfect. They gave me what I needed and made me the better person I am today. However, show two, three, four and five, the aftercare was a letdown. Can you explain how you felt you were treated on the show? What is it actually like to be a guest on the Jeremy Kyle show? The show is very keen on taking advantage of people. I feel you're only there for them to make money. They don't actually care. I've been there in the side room where they've been telling me what to say and how to react. Was there times that you felt like you were being taken advantage of to benefit the show? The only time you see them is when you're on the stage. Otherwise... You don't even have a conversation with them. 
you just spend all day locked in a room with runners running in outside the room, playing games and playing you off each other to rive you up. After the experiences that you mentioned there, did you ever reconsider reappearing on the show again? Every time I went re-back on the show, my intentions was never to go back on. But you get regular phone calls from researchers and producers with peer pressure. They phone up pretending they're your friend, looking for a catch-up. Then they pick up on stuff you tell them, and all of a sudden, you're in a taxi on the way to Manchester. There's no care after the show. As soon as the camera stops recording, it's in the taxi, goodbye. Now that you've had some time away and after all this media attention recently, has it made you look at the show in a, in a different light? I believe now that the show has now shown its true colours and they've only got themselves to blame. The greed of the better viewings have got the better of them and now someone has lost their life due to irresponsible greediness. If you had the chance, is there anything that you would say to the people behind the show? I think maybe if the aftercare was there that is promised, I don't think the show would be where they are now. So, now MPs on the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee at Westminster are going to investigate what happens on reality TV shows like Love Island, where two former contestants uh, killed themselves. And then there are the programmes like The Scheme, which some people see as exploiting poverty for other people's entertainment, which what really, I, I you know, just my view is... It's it's all about getting the viewer figures and it's all about entertainment and uh, sometimes, you know, it does go too far. But has it gone too far this time? Do you think that um, Jeremy Coyle, Kyle does, does deserve the whole thing to be taken off? You know, that's that's the show that he works on because of this. Is, is he and the producers to blame? And if you sit and watch it every day, how do you feel about losing that show? And how do you feel about MPs now investigating and going to be telling television programmes, television companies, how to run their company. You know, MPs are not exactly, um, you know, doing the best thing of running the country at the moment, never mind running TV programmes, but they're in there. Uh, what are your thoughts? 033-2020-401 is the number. If, you, if you've got a view on this, if you sit and watch it, I must admit I can't say too much about... Um, the Jerry McHale show, because I think I've only ever caught once a bit of it, and probably on a news programme. It's not something I sit down and, ah, I must sit and watch it. But people do. People get up in the morning and they think, must watch Lorraine, must watch this, uh, must listen to that. That's fine, you know, but um, I, d- I just never have been into daytime television, so I don't sit there and watch the telly during the day. Uh, so, are you going to miss it? Do you think it's right that it's taken off, or is it wrong? Or treble three twenty twenty four zero one is the telephone number. Uh, Donald, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. What's your thoughts on this then? Well, I I thought it's terrible the way Jeremy spoke to the to the to the audience, Ali. Mm-hmm. It's the way it's it's, it's, it's the way he's uh, raised his voice to him. But that, that's his style, though, Donald. That's what he does. If you don't like it, switch it off. But Ali, but I I I do. I, I, that's what annoyed me. He, he spoke to the, he spoke to the people like they were wee kids, mm-hmm. and of course, they, and of course, and they told, and they told, uh, he told them that 
I didn't like Jerry McHale at all. He's too arrogant. But that's what makes his show, I believe. But why, Ali? That, that... Because, because he's, he's up against people. He's, he's trying to rile them. He's trying to get them to be angry. If he gets them being angry, people talk about his programme. If he went on there and everything was nice for the time that he's on there, it wouldn't work. Well, I think he's a horrible, horrible man, Ali. And I'll, I'll, I'm glad you took it off. OK, right. Well, that's your view, Donald. Thank you. He's probably not a horrible, horrible man. I don't know. I've never met him. But, um, you know, it's, 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 I think you, you're making up your mind on what you see on television. So you'd, and, and I think the Jeremy Kyle show, amongst many others, is an act. Jeremy Kyle is an act that he puts on. Just my view. Philip, what do you think? How do you, Ali? Morning. Uh, well, I think it was a bit of an extreme action by ITV doing it. I think it was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, really. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, they've been, um, you know, they're, they're, they've taken the programme off and that's, their, I think, one of their highest figures of the day. So um, I would have thought, though, Philip, they would sit down and, and look at it carefully. But maybe you're right. Maybe it was a knee-jerk reaction. But uh, should they be having knee-jerk reactions with other programmes, like another one I've never seen, Jings, I've never lived, uh, Love Island? Um, uh, you know, sh- is that one of your regular watches? No, it's too mushy for me, Ali. Too mushy? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good description of it. Yeah. Love Island is too mushy for Philip. Too mushy. Right. Uh, but what was I going to say? Um, they're going on about the, the Jeremy Kyle show content being too extreme. Jerry Springer's been doing his show in America for donkey's years. And he's been even more controversial than what Jeremy Kyle was. But the, the producers still kept the programme going because it pulled in the ratings. Mm-hmm. I think the American audience are different from us, though. Really? We're, yeah, I think we're a wee bit more sensitive. I mean, Springer, Springer was on here for years well, in the I hope, UK. I hope, you, I hope you don't have any American listeners listening to this programme, Ali. No, I don't mind. I don't mind. I just think the American audience is put up with more rubbish than we do. Well, as I say, your previous caller there like, probably regarded Jeremy Kyle as a detestable man. Well, yeah. He's a kind of a Marmite character, isn't he? You either like him or you detest him. Mm. I like some of the other programmes he's been doing, the factual stuff. I think it's OK. Uh, but that's, that's, he's, he's delivering a show, um, and he has been doing successfully until this happened. So whether it's right to just pull it off, um, I don't necessarily agree, Philip. Thank you. Nancy, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Nancy. What do you think, then? I, do, I think it's um, a shame. I did watch Jeremy Kyle quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't think myself that the man should be blamed, although it was a very sad case. I don't think he should be blamed for the gentleman's death. As according to the previous things, he did try to take his life before. Right, OK. Uh, so let's say Jeremy's not being blamed, but should the programme be blamed, Nancy? Well, I don't, I don't really think the programme. I mean, they don't carry them on the programme. They decide to go on the programme. I mean, if, personally, if it was me and they were saying, come on to the programme, you've got to apply for it. You had to apply to get onto it. So therefore, they're applying, and then when they get, you know, when they get a uh, reply back, so they have to reply to get onto the show in the first place. Yeah, but there we, we heard um, Danny Fuller from West Lothian saying that they would phone him up. And, you know, after he'd been on the first time, they would phone up and 
act all friendly and then see if there's something else that you bring them on. Yes, uh, exactly, but I'm saying they're phoning the programme first to get uh, on, and that is why they're maybe getting catch-up. So, I mean, if you didn't want to be on the air and get all these things, you wouldn't phone up to go on to it. Yeah, that would have been my question to Danny. I mean, he, he yes. was on the, you know, why appear on it five times then? Exactly, that, that's, my, that's my point. And for was, it, was he being paid, do you think? And yes, definitely, and they're getting put up in hotel rooms and they can get into the bar and get all kinds of drink out of these things. They didn't mention all that. I know, and he said, the next thing he knows, he's yeah, in a taxi to Manchester. Yes, exactly. I sit back there and be driven to Manchester, very good. Yes, and not only that, I mean, they didn't mention about all the good they'd done about sending people to rehab and things, different things like that. I mean, he did, as I say, very sad about the man, but I still don't think, and taking the programme off, OK, well, I still don't think they should have took it off. They should have sat down, as you said, and looked at it properly and yeah. see what they could have done made before. Maybe reinvented it. Reinvented it, and uh, in my mind, Jeremy Kyle, <clears throat> I don't think personally, I don't know how that man must be feeling today, being, being blamed for this man's death. Okay, Nancy, thank you very much indeed for your call. Keep them coming in. Any comments, of course? 0333 Uh Looking at, in general, um, as well as the Jeremy Kyle Show, other shows as well, reality television shows. Have they had their day? Um, you know, it's a, I don't think you could um, ban all reality television shows, could you? I mean, um, I'm a Celebrity is, is reckoned to be, is that a reality show? Yeah, it's a reality show. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Um, so that's, you know, people are going in. That's what they want to do. You know, that's uh, good on them. I wouldn't be eating their grubs and all the things in there, but that's that's what they want to do. So um, banning them all uh, might be a bit hasty. Um, but MPs, as I say, on the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee at Westminster are going to investigate now. Good on them. Uh, your thoughts once again, that phone number 033 Um Also on the programme today, uh, I want to get uh, a wee bit more behind what the MSP Alex Cole Hamilton is talking about. Um, he, he wants the law to be changed so that if you come upon an accident, you would be, you, you would be breaking the law if you did not help. Now, some people, I think, uh, some people sort of shy away from it. Basically because they're shy they're not sure what to do. Um, so it would be called the Good Samaritan Law and you would be breaking the law if you did not assist, if you stood back and even walked away. That's what um, the, as I say, the uh, MSP Alex Cole Hamilton is, from my, my understanding, is proposing. We're going to hear from him in about five minutes' time and I'd like to hear your comments after we hear what he's got to say. So, uh, Take a quick break and then we'll be back with a bit of music and then we'll speak to Alex Cole Hamilton. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Okay, let's just go back on the phone lines regarding the uh, Jeremy Cowell show. Uh, John, you've applied to be on it, is that right? Yes, about two years ago. Uh, right. Good morning, Ollie. Good morning. And uh, uh, they said that they were interested and it was basically at that time my family were in a crisis and uh, not to go into much detail, but uh, I would be accepted. Um, but the lines were busy, basically, and they asked me, uh, could I phone back later? 
and uh, basically Andrew had run through the story and give me advice uh, uh, on what was happening. Uh, by the way, I never told Pat what was happening. That's right, okay. <laughs> so it didn't happen then, obviously. No, you, it didn't happen. Right, did you, what did you hope, though, John, that, um, what did you hope that the Jeremy Kyle show was going to do for you? I, I thought, I need advice and information, and I thought maybe it was all about family in crisis, mm -hmm. that it might bring my family back together again. It's, okay. does, it, does it not split more up than it brings back together? Well, sadly, um, nothing changed, to be honest with you. Right. Uh, but basically, looking through tomorrow's TV guide uh, at 9.25, it's back on, the Jeremy Coucho. Yeah. I think that uh, the TV guides will be a little bit uh, skew-whiff at the moment on that one. I don't think it's yeah. back on. I don't think it'll be back on. Uh, uh, do you think you had a lucky escape by not going on it, or do you wish you had gone on it? Because it's not going to happen now. I wish I could have gone on it um, to prove the fact that, I mean, I like Jeremy Kyle. I like watching it, mm. and I could understand quite a lot what was going on the show with family in crisis. I think everyone appreciates that, Ali. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Be honest now. Have you ever found yourself walking on when there was a situation where somebody needed help? A time for when, for whatever reason, you didn't want to get involved? How would you feel if the law was changed to make that illegal? A law that forced us to stop at the scene of an accident or a crisis, but also protected you from getting sued when you were just trying to help. Well, the Lib Dem MSP Alex Cole Hamilton wants to start a debate about a so-called Good Samaritan law. And he's taken the first step by meeting uh, first aid charities to get their views. And of course, he joins us now on the programme. Good to welcome you back to the programme, Alex. So what is this all about? Then? What What is your thoughts behind this? Well, if you remember, Ali, I was on your show uh, last month after the situation with my daughter when I had to resuscitate her when she followed the coin as we were leaving to go out on a Saturday night. Right. I had a massive outpouring of uh, goodwill and support. Um, but two things really came with that. Firstly, just how common that is, you know, accidents and sort of near misses and uh, near death experiences. Um, and secondly, how few people uh, would know what to do in those circumstances. So that led me to set up this roundtable with Scotland's uh, first aid charities, a range of volunteers and things like that. We had a great meeting this week. And one thing that came out of it was that, well, how do we get more people trained up? And, and what seemed to be the prevailing view is rather than making it a compulsory part of, say, getting your driving license or uh, registering to vote, which some countries have, uh, in terms of learning first aid, that actually if we just had a, a good Samaritan law like they have in France and other parts of Europe, that it would be enough to make people realise that they'd, they'd need to know something if they were presented with that, because there would be a kind of legal imperative for them to do something. And, and that that's the best way to just encourage people into training. It's not about criminalising people. Lots of people wouldn't know what to do to help a scene. You're not going to have them arrested. But it just changes that cultural mindset and makes people really think proactively about getting trained up in first aid. Mm. I must admit, the, the last time that you were on, for a couple of days afterwards, uh, the conversations were coming my way about 
that was good because I wouldn't know what to do. Um, and, and maybe, you know, there was more people talking about going for first aid lessons or going for heart start or something like that, just so that they, they had a feeling that they would know what to do. So that I, I think there's a willingness there of people who, who want to go and do it. It's just getting them off their backsides and going, getting the training. Absolutely. And after what happened with my daughter, Darcy, um, I, uh, my wife and I decided we'd like to use some of the attention we were getting locally to do something good with that. So I set up three training courses in my constituency of Edinburgh Western. And now all told, 40 or more people know what to do. They, they've been trained in first aid, they attended the classes, and the feedback's been really positive, and I think we're going to do it again later in the year. So it's about creating two things. It's firstly about creating the opportunities for people to get the training, because a lot of the time, you know, if you're not if you're doing it outside of work, you sign up for a full-day course or whatever, it can be expensive, whereas actually there are volunteer routes in which you can get it for free. Um, but so getting the capacity, making sure anyone in Scotland who wants to be trained in basic first strike emergency care uh, can be readily, easily, very easily. But then secondly, changing the culture. So having this discussion, say, do we need the good Samaritan law? One of, this, one of the really horrific stories that came out of our roundtable on Wednesday was a, a paramedic or, uh, at the table who said he'd... Um, uh, actually not been on duty that day, but he'd witnessed a horrific road accident where a, bicyc- a cyclist was knocked off his bike, lying in the road, clearly unconscious, covered in blood, and then the taxi immediately behind him swerved right out round him and drove off as if, you know, he was just an obstruction in the road. And nobody listening to that show can think that that kind of mindset is okay. Mm. You know, we live in a really good country. Scotland's a great, great people, and you would like to think the vast majority would lend a hand and even if that's just calling for help raising the alarm or um comforting somebody who's in, in difficulty and delivering some kind of first aid um, most people would do that but in some cases people are selfish and they just want to go about their daily business but what about also those who maybe feel that Jing, i can't go because if i go over there i'll do more harm than good well, that's funny enough that is exactly uh, the number one reason people don't intervene if they're, they're, they're worried about making it worse put it this way if you if you witness that somebody having a heart attack and they are literally their heart is in cardiac arrest in front of you there is nothing more that you're going to do which is going to make their situation worse if you don't do something to get the blood moving around their body they will be dead in minutes so even if you break their rib if you um yeah sometimes it can be quite squeamish as well but uh, but there's nothing you're going to do which is going to make that situation worse so what will happen to, you know, you're taking this forward. What will happen? You've started the debate now. So what, what do you think the, the, the possibility is of it actually becoming law? How long does that process take? Okay, so what we've agreed uh, which, uh, with this informal working group I've set up pulling all the first aid charities together is that over the summer I'm going to work with them to draft what um, could be a, an embryonic strategy um, for first aid and, and first responders. And it's not just about getting people trained, but it's also looking after the people who witness terrible events in the aftermath as well. I, I witnessed a suicide in Edinburgh four years ago. I was the first responder on the scene. Um, there were, I met up with an, another woman who was there on the day 
randomly just a couple of weeks ago, and she's really struggled with post-traumatic stress disorder about it. So there's a, there's a whole comprehensive suite of things we need to do. We need to train people, but also offer support to those people who have been after the fact. So we're going to pull the strategy, strategy together over the summer. We're going to present it to the Scottish Government. We'll start building a campaign behind it. And part of the discussion in that strategy is, is it time that we actually brought in a good Samaritan law? And let me stress, this is not about penalising people. It's not, we're not going to be arresting lots of people who don't intervene at, at the side of a road. It is about, however, just making, shifting that cultural lever in people's brains to think, actually, you know, I can't afford to, to not know what to do in an emergency because I might have to. I might be there. Um, and they'll be glad they did because, actually, you know, you can buy time, you can, you can save lives. And in the countries that... Um, already have either good management laws or um, mandatory first aid training, the survival rates for things like cardiac arrest are a country mile better than we've got in Scotland. Mm. I remember a few weeks ago also we were talking about um, children getting uh, in primary schools and into secondary schools as well, getting uh, first aid on the curriculum or indeed how to use uh, defibrillators as well. And and, um, you think, you know, that's great that their future generations are being trained now as school kids how to do that uh, type of thing. And and they're they're not showing any fear. They're getting in there and and seeing that they could help someone. Um, But so it's this... this, uh, sort of generation in the middle who haven't been treated that we really need to, to tackle and get them to take this on. Well, that's it. And, and it's exactly those people that we need to get to, especially to make it easy to access the training. <clears throat> Excuse me. But also, it's not just that generation. It's the uh, older generations as well, because intergenerational tra- childcare, grannies and grandpas, who look after their kids while mum and dad are at work, uh, you know, that's booming. We haven't seen the, the scale of that kind of childcare before. Mm. And most of the people that contacted me saying, how do I get trained? And then came along to my training sessions where actually grandparents who offer that kind of care. Well, it's an interesting proposal on getting some uh, social media comments here that I've never heard. Here's one of them said, I can't remember the last time I heard such rubbish. Um, and, and I feel, but I feel he yeah, maybe, a lot of that. Yeah, I, I also feel that he maybe sent that before uh, listening to, to your reasonings behind this, which I think are quite yeah. sound um, and through, through your own personal experiences as well. Yeah, and it's just to say as well, you know, this isn't hard and fast, this isn't set in stone. This came out of the roundtable that we had the week. I'm listening to the experts here. It's an interesting idea that I want to take to the people. I'm not necessarily going to be the one that introduces it. And it may be that it's not right for Scotland, but I think we'd be wrong not to have that conversation because I want to turn over every stone possible to ensure that the maximum number of people in this country avail themselves of any first aid training that they have uh, locally um, so that they know what to do when the worst happens. I hope it, I hope they never, ever have to use it, but they'll be really glad they had it if that, the worst does happen. Alex, we'll keep our eye on that one and you'll keep us informed as well as to how it's going, I'm quite sure. I will do. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Lib Dem MSP Alex Cole Hamilton. Apologies about the quality of the telephone line there. Um, it was happening all over, so we, we just had to, uh, to to go with it. So what are you thought of? What's your thoughts then? Having listened to what he said, you know, what do you think of the Good Samaritan Law? It's something that operates in other countries. Um, would you be happy? And have you said to yourself before, I want to go and get training. I want to do some first aid training, but never actually gone ahead with it. If not, why not? And would you feel that if this law come in, that you would actually do it? Do you think it's a good idea pushing people to go and take first aid lessons, uh, or basic first aid lessons as well? 033 2020 is the number. Love to hear from you.
Back on the phone lines, Joseph's there. Joseph, good morning. Good, good morning. morning. Yes, well, I had the experience of the Good Samaritans, Ali. Uh, well, I, I, was, I was coming off a bus. I've got a slight touch of MS, and I've got a, a, one of my legs is, is very heavy because of the, the condition I've got. And I was coming off the bus, and all these ones were all trying to go on the bus, Ali. It didn't give me enough time to go off. As I tried to get through them, I tripped, Ali, and I tried to save my face, and I'm down on my arm, and my socket, my arm come flat. Well, I heard something crawling, bang. And Ali, my whole arm just came out, the whole thing coming out of the socket. I was screaming. Do you know, they were all going on that bus, Ali. Not one gave me a hand, Ali, to get really? me up off the ground. Not one of them. And I was so ashamed of the Glasgow people. who were supposed to be good people in Glasgow. But I was so ashamed, Ali, that night. And I was screaming. I got to the fence with my, my just got my, my walking stick. And, the hand, and I got to the thing the fence was running along behind the bus stop. And I got into that and got onto the, the railing. The teacher went me underpass to my house. I was still screaming, Ali. People won't be here. I was well-dressed, Ali. They suit on, collar and tie. I was 72 years of age, Ali. Do you know, not one person, I, I got along the rails and be locked. Where I live, it's the handrail because a lot of disabled people and firm people that I live, Ali. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of there and got to the lift. You've got a list of special lift because of the condition of people here. And I got up and I pressed my sister's cheek and sent the ambulance right down to me. I was lying on the floor, Ali, in my house, because I was actually nearly on my knees. The pain was so severe, Ali, I was screaming. And, and no, nobody nobody came to say, or nobody even said to you, are you OK? Not, not one person, Ali. And that's where, where my, my, where the fault lies. Is yes, yes, you've got good Samaritans, Ali, but a lot of people don't help you. And another thing I know, Ali, I hate is see when somebody's getting attacked and you've, you've got these ones with the phones, Ali, and the people getting injured and are standing there with phones, that's, I hate that. Taking and that person could be dying yeah. and you're standing there taking photos, Ali. You're taking, filming it and things, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I think that's a disgrace. The person could be saved. Some people have been killed and they're standing there. I've seen it at a railway station when the police were telling me how to move and I'm standing there with the cameras, Ali, and this, this person had a big knife. No, I couldn't understand that. Why are you standing there? You could be killed. You know what I mean? You know, so is no, is no. that you know you're talking about the the generosity and the um you know people of 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 your city of Glasgow are, are talked about of, of being the best and very friendly and everything like that. Um, is there anything that you think then could be done to help? Do you th- would you agree with this law then? Because if if you'd been in agony, if if what Alex Cole Hamilton is talking about bringing in, if that did happen, uh, they would be breaking the law by not helping you. You think that would be a good way to go? Ali, the, the, I, I can remember everybody helped each other, but there seems to be this, this part of now our lives now that nobody helps you anymore. Nobody gives a damn for you anymore. You're, you're, yourself now is yourself, and I'm myself now from now on, Ali. There seems to be something about that in the thing today, Ali. You know what I mean? It's, ah, well, I'm not going to go there and, and help you. I might, might, something might happen, but I've got a bad attitude now, Ali, when I mean, you're trying to help somebody now. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Joseph. Thanks for coming on and giving us uh, your experience. Richard, what's yours? Good morning. Hello, good morning, Ali. Um, The Good Samaritan law, you know, what happened a few years ago, um, I'm a lorry driver myself, and I see quite a few accidents, and I was in Bradford, a dual carriageway. Last year, I tried to run across the dual carriageway, a car hit her, um, and I stopped to make sure that nobody would run, run over her sort of thing, yeah, got mm-hmm. out and started CPR on her and everything like that. But there was a crowd gathered and not one single person would give me a hand. 
you know. And when you're doing CPR, it does take it out of you after a wee while sort mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. And before the police got there, um, I was basically knackered sort of thing. Yeah. But I was amazed at just how many people were standing there and not interested really in giving me a hand at all sort of thing. And to this day, I don't even know if that lassie survived that accident. Right. You know, so I think it is about time that people learn what to do in, must in the be, case of an accident. Richard, that must be a heck of a feeling standing there with a crowd around you. And did you ask for some help? Did you say, can yeah. you give, give me yeah, a hand here? Yeah, I kept here? on asking. There was, sorry, there was one wee woman came across to, to, to try and help sort of thing. Yeah. And while I was doing the, the chest CPR, she was doing the, um, you know, putting oxygen back into your right, sort of thing. Right, yeah. right. But that was it. And when the police arrived, they took over, sort of thing, thanked me, sort of thing. But as I say, I, I still don't know whether that, that woman survived or not, sort of thing. But, but I do, was really, do, really amazed. Yeah, doing that and then getting back in your truck and heading wherever you were going, is just, yeah. that must have been on your mind for a few days after that, I would have thought. Yeah, it is. You know, as I say, did she, did she, you know, did the woman survive? Yeah. Whatever, sort of thing. But at least I can say... I tried sort of thing, yeah. So on, on your experiences then, uh, what do you think about a good Samaritan law? I, I don't know whether it should be a law, but I do think that people should think a damn sight more um, and act a damn sight more. Um, Why did you decide to learn how to do CPR? I, I didn't learn. Right. It's only with what I've seen on television programmes, things like that, you know, and actually being at accidents... In the past, and I have been at a lot, I've been doing the job for 30 years, and actually watching emergency services doing it and things like that, eh? mm. and and that was that was it sort of thing. I don't even know if I was doing it right. You know, that's, 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 that's the, the thing, thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. but as, as uh, I've heard doctors say before, and uh, Alex Cole-Hamilton there was making the point that you know, when someone is having a heart attack or whatever, you can't really do that much damage. You're helping them. You've got to yeah. get the blood flowing back through. Exactly. But um, Yeah, yeah, and that, and that was the main thing for myself was to, to keep on doing that. Um, you know, she didn't have a pulse when I, when I, when I got out of the lorry, yeah. Right. And, but she did end up with a pulse, so I must so have been, doing been doing something, something right. Yeah. Richard, thank you very much indeed for uh, coming on and, and giving us your story, the, the, the positive side that um, maybe we should be uh, looking at uh, getting some lessons in, uh, in first aid or whatever. And as I say, if you've just joined us, uh, you've just missed uh, MSP Alex Cole Hamilton starting the debate, and that's what he's doing. He's starting the debate about a so-called Good Samaritan law. Uh, Louise, thanks for getting in touch. Uh, Louise sends a note in. She says a lot of people are reluctant to do anything if they're not first aid trained and afraid of doing further damage. I understand that. Best option would be to call 999 and stay with the person till the medics arrive. Also, there is a danger of being accused of assault. Well, this new law, uh, if it was to come in, would make sure that you wouldn't be accused of anything if you went in to help. Um, Liz says, I think it would be a very good idea for more people to go for training to help somebody in distress. After all, how would you feel if a loved one or indeed, let's face it, Liz, ourselves, uh, in need of help. I'm sure you wouldn't want everybody standing by and watching and not doing anything. Thank you for your comments. Uh, John, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Right, so what's your thoughts on this then? Well, it's all very admirable 
Ali, but uh, and just as some of uh, your the comments you've just made, there is a lot of circumstances when someone trying to assist can do more damage uh, than good. And um, the point, the best point I can make is if you've got like a motorbike accident or a, an accident in a car where someone's had a neck trauma. Uh, by moving that person, you could you could end up putting them in a wheelchair for the rest of their life, Ali. Right. Uh, and I understand what the the, the councillor's saying. He's an M- MSP. It, He's an MSP. He's one up from a councillor, right? All right. Terribly sorry. Um, but uh, I understand what he's saying, but I, I just don't understand how he can make this legal. People, there is people who have got the the makeup that could go and help someone, Ali. There is people who have got the makeup who would be afraid to go and help them. And I feel it it's bad for someone to turn around and say, Well, I don't care what your makeup, you will help them. Mm. Uh, and as as a professional uh driver, a taxi driver yourself, can you do first aid? Would you stop and assist? Uh, I'm yes, I am a registered first aider because I'm a carer as well, Ali. Right, right, okay. Um so so I'm a registered first aider. I carry a first aid kit in my 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 taxi. Yes, I, w- I would stop, and I have done in the past, and I would again. All I'm saying is that the you, you've got to know the circumstances and see the circumstances, and have at least a small bit of knowledge of where to do, what to do, and when to do it. Or when I mean, a lot of people say, "Oh, put them in the rubber recovery position." Sometimes that's the worst thing in the world to do. Okay. Right, thank you very much indeed for your comment, John, as always. Uh, keep them coming in. We're talking about the Good Samaritan Law, as uh, been described to us earlier on in the programme by Lib Dem MSP Alex Cole Hamilton. He wants to start the debate, and he, indeed he has started a debate about a so-called Good Samaritan Law. Um, so keep those calls coming. Lots of uh, comments on that, and uh, loads of comments on the Jeremy Kyle situation. Uh, now off our TV screens, and I, I've been asking uh, this morning... Is it time to get rid of all so-called reality TV shows, as I say? Uh, lots of comments coming in there. You can get in touch by giving us a call. Uh, the number is 033 Uh You can text 61054, start your message with Ali. And, of course, if you're on Twitter, then uh, hashtag Scotland's Talking. Get some comments on that as well. Uh, I'd also like to move on to talking about fostering. We're in the middle of foster care fortnight and the search is on for 580 new families to help kids across Scotland. Now, as you can imagine, without people coming forward, brothers and sisters could find themselves split up or moved far from the area that they call home. Maybe it's something you've experienced yourself. But do you have what it takes to be a foster carer? Rosemary Woodhouse from the Highlands started fostering after her kids went off to university and has been describing her experience to John Rose for Scotland's Talking. We have four children of our own, who at that point everybody was off to university. We count ourselves very lucky. We thought our children very lucky. I'm from quite a big family, so it's he. And one thing we could do, we are quite good at, is looking after children. So we thought we could do some fostering. Now, once you are a foster carer and you've obviously undergone all the various checks and training, imagine every scenario is completely different. Each child has a child's plan and you really have to be up to speed on the child's plan so you don't make mistakes 
i.e. Um, we're not a family drinkers but there is alcohol in the house even seeing alcohol for some children is a spur or a trigger that's not so good so um, we things like that that you actually don't think about until somebody said oh yeah didn't think about that and for every child whatever their circumstances you can guarantee that it's it's definitely something that's out with their control which has led them into the care system Oh my goodness, uh, you know, usually whatever's happened is certainly not their fault and it's due to whatever circumstances that have conspired. Um, but these children from a very young life have got very complicated and very sad, really sad stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're, we're seeing foster families, 580 of them are needed in Scotland, but it's, it's not just families, it could be individuals. You, you don't even have to be young. Absolutely, I'm 60. <laughs> Absolutely. And my husband and I, we're the ones, when they come to us, I mean, the, the kids will say, oh, if they get told where they're coming to, they'll say, oh, it's healthy eating and walking for the week. <laughs> you know, we're the ones that have them either in the sea or up the hills or um, just very, very busy. Because in, in their previous lives, whatever they've been, it probably didn't involve getting taken for walks, getting taken out to do things, time spent with them. And I suppose there's a great deal of thought before becoming a foster carer, but on reflection, you'll have seen the rewards from kids who've come out the other side better off for that love and attention. Actually, it's all the reflection that causes you to, 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 to go through and think. And at one point, I remember my husband saying, but this has to be two-way. You know, I, I have to get something back, even if it's just a smile or a wee nod or something. You know, there has to be some recognition. It's working. It's working for both. Nobody goes into this without having thought about it first and having been prepared to give up a bit themselves. Because if you're not prepared to give up a wee bit yourself, then it's never going to work. Rosemary Woodhouse uh, chatting there to to John Rose for Scotland's Talking. Uh, Interesting comments that they're getting something back on both sides of it. Uh, Sarah Lurie is in charge of Fostering Network in Scotland and she joins us uh, as well this morning. Uh, A very good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning, Ali. So, uh, has it always been difficult to get foster families or is modern society making it more difficult with other things to do? Um, well, in years gone by, many, many years ago, there may have been a lot of families where the mom stayed at home, brought up their own children, didn't go out to work until it was available, and when their own children grew up, maybe thought, oh, I can do this, where now many more women are working, many more couples are working, there's now single people working and having aspirations, so there may be a smaller pool to draw on of people who really have the time, um, but on any given day in Scotland, there are more than 5,000 children living in foster families. And wow. we desperately need more people to come forward. That is a, an amazing figure, isn't there? 5,000 people. Yes. 5,000 yes. kids. Children, anyway. yes. Yeah, children. Babies, young toddlers, uh, primary school age children, and of course teenagers. So I know this is probably, uh, I don't know if I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Sure. What makes an ideal foster parent? Uh, well, first of all, you have to really enjoy being with children. You have to really uh, adore children. You have to believe that every child has a right to chase their dreams. You have to believe that you can make a difference to a child. You have to have stickability. Um, you have to be able to work as part of a team. You have to help a child um, understand uh, their life story. Uh, you have to have a, a sense of humor, <laughs> some patience. Um, but more than anything, you want to work with children to, make, to give them hope. And I would imagine you have to be able to take the 
the knocks as well. You know, when when um, the the child may have through previous experiences just might it might it might not be as plain sailing as it was with your own kids, and you've just got to be able to to take those knocks. Absolutely. I mean, having children is a challenge. I think any parent would just say, you know, having a child, there's going to be difficult times. And if it's a child that's not your own, who who you haven't known since the day they were born and Mm. got to know their quirks and personalities and got to know how they respond to things, then it becomes even more of a bit of a challenge. And welcoming a child into your home um, who may have had uh, different experiences or respond differently than your own children have responded. So it takes a bit of getting used to, but there's plenty of support um, and there's a process to go through before you become a foster carer uh, to, to just get an understanding about child development, to understand um, how it might feel for a child when they, when they move, and obviously any move is a loss for them, and how to help children understand those losses, um, how to work with schools and, and with the team around the child, foster care has become part of that team to work together to make sure that every individual's child will be met in the best way for that particular child. Is there a particular age group in a child growing up that is more difficult to, to foster than others? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking here, does everybody, or not everybody, a lot of people come in with it looking, well, I'd like a baby. Well, yeah, no doubt. You know, but uh, there are also teenagers. Absolutely. And, and actually what you're saying, not everybody does want a baby because that's how much more restricted you have to your home. You're up all night with fees. More, I was going to so say it's more, it's more work as well. <laughs> so it's a different type of work. You know, um, some people come forward and say, you know, we would love to foster teenagers. You know, my own children are age 18, 20 and 22. And we feel our lifestyle, we, we could really offer a home to teenagers. Whereas offering up for them to offer a home to a baby might feel like completely disrupting. Other people may have, you know, we, we get, you know, I heard from a single carer last week who's got two children in primary school, age six and seven, and thought, well, she'd like children younger than her own. So they still maintain being, you know, the seven-year-old is still the oldest in the household, and then the six-year-old, and then others. So really, when people come forward to foster, part of the, the assessment of it will help you as a family um, or individual think about what can you provide and what will work for you. Mm. As, as your previous, uh, you know, your interview with Rosemary said, you, you do get something back. And um, this year's theme of change a future is not just to change a child's future, but it'll change foster carers and their families' futures too. If you're taking another member into the family, there must be uh, financial uh, considerations as well. Absolutely. And nobody should shy away from actually considering that and having a discussion with their fostering service if they come forward to make some inquiries. All foster carers in Scotland are paid what's called an, a foster care allowance, which is to cover the cost of caring for a child. So it covers food and clothing, transport, school clubs, um, holidays, um, extra money for for doing things. And it depends on the age of the child. So for a teenager, for example, there'd be a higher allowance because there'd be things like mobile phones or driving lessons and so forth. So every foster carer across Scotland is paid an allowance and and also paid a fee, which is a small token, if you like. It's it's, it's a payment. Um, recognizing that many foster carers will have given up their full-time job. Other foster carers can continue working, and that will depend on the age of child they're fostering and the needs of particular children. But there, there is uh, financial considerations need to be taken into account, and we'd encourage anyone to have open discussion with their local authority or fostering service about that because there are uh, allowances and fees paid. I, I know that um, at the moment across our radio stations we have commercials running um, from various 
uh, authorities looking uh, to to get people interested in this during foster care fortnight. But in general, is is there a website that if people have been thinking about it, that maybe can just move, just have a general look before taking a, a step forward and making yes. a call? Yes, I, we would encourage everybody to go onto our website. All fostering services in Scotland are members of the fostering network. We don't provide foster care ourselves. All foster carers in Scotland are members and all fostering services. So if you go on to, you know, just Google the Fostering Network Mm. um, or it's the fosteringnetwork.org.uk and you'll be able to see all the fostering services in Scotland and then you can key in to see which ones are closest to you. And uh, as you say, you'll be having a lot of adverts this week and, and for foster care fortnight, but every fostering service is looking to recruit more carers. And if somebody contacts a local authority or a fostering service, Say, say, for example, they want to foster babies and they don't need carers to look after babies. They would help you decide where you might be able to right. go. Um, you can also pick up the phone to Foster Line Scotland. Um, and that's, uh, uh, we run that. It's an independent advice line funded by the Scottish Government to give advice to anybody thinking of fostering and also for foster carers themselves for any advice to do with anything about foster care. You don't happen to have that number handy, do you? I certainly do. I know it off by heart. <laughs> it's... Um, Oh one four one two zero four one four hundred. Excellent, Sarah. Thank you very much indeed for joining us and giving us more information about uh, foster care. Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Ali. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. So has foster care, is it something that you do? Is it something that you have done? Uh, Has it worked for you as a foster care? Or indeed, have you uh, come through the foster system, uh, foster care system yourself? Um, You know, is is, is it something that through uh, your family situation, you ended up um, being put up for adoption how, how, or for foster care. How has that affected you? Um, I'd love to hear from you if, if it has affected you or indeed you've got a story to tell. That number again, 033-2020-401. Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Hi, Ali. Regarding the Jeremy Kyle show being axed, uh, Stephen says here. I think it was the right thing to do, but I think ITV should have asked Love Island as well because of the two deaths of previous contestants. Uh, but they probably won't because of ratings. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, here's one that comes in from Audrey. Audrey says, I have fostered for over 20 years and would urge people to come forward. We can change the whole future uh, for a child or a teenager. Um, on the line now is Laura. Laura, good morning to you. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, good morning. And uh, I believe you foster as well, is that right? No, I have been through the care system ah, myself right. as a child. Okay, tell me about it then. Well, the thing is, they told us three different reasons why me and my older siblings, my brother and sister, were taken away from our mum. But I never believed any of them. They also told us at one point that mum never wanted us, mum never loved us or anything like that. And I never believed them. I was eight years old when I was taken away from my mum. It took me five years to get back to my mum. And my mum and I are still trying to rebuild our relationship that we had before. Right. When you say, and, Laura, can I just add, just so that people know, when you say they told you that your mum didn't want you and, and they took you away, who are they? Social workers. Right, okay. All right, fine. All right. Sorry, on and you. The go. fact is, I am now a mum of four. My oldest is 14 next month. My girls in a couple of days, on the 21st and 
on the 26th of this month will turn 8 and 10 years old. And my youngest turns 6 in January. My youngest has type 1 diabetes. And my oldest has a multiple of... um, uh, Sorry, I'm shaking like a leaf here. Um, Mental issues. Right, okay. Such as aspergers and other things. Getting back to in touch with your, your mum, how long did that take in the, in the, when you were in the foster system? Five years. Five years, right, okay. And has that relationship built now to a good relationship? Is it one that your, um, your children... Mom's relationship with me is pretty okay. I help her out when she's got Problems getting around in other towns because right. she's not very secure with that. Okay. She never talks to my sister for obvious reasons, and she never talks to my brother for again obvious reasons. Looking back on it, though, Laura, and because I of every pillar to post. Right, but where the social because workers. Because I wanted mum back, and right. they said no. Were they, you looking on it as a mum now, because you are, as you say, a mum now, can you look at it and, and understand why the social workers took the action they no. did? No. I'll never understand why they did what they did, nor what they've done with mine. I'm actually fighting to get my four back. And the only two of my children that are together are my girls. My boys are... Well, my oldest is in a residential school because of his problems with aspergers and such. And my youngest son, we don't know where he is. We don't know where the girls are, but the only two that are together are my girls. And the four of them only get to... The four children only get to see each other three or maybe four times a year, depending on how busy their lives are, which, in my opinion, is not good enough. Because as a sibling, although the youngest of three siblings, we never really got to see much of each other either. And I'm very worried about how the effect is going to have on my four children, mm. not seeing each other every day, except for my girls who see each other every day. Your time in I'm the very fo- worried about how the effect is going to be on them. Right. Your time in the foster care system then, um, being brought up through that, uh, was it, how can I put this? I was going to say, I understand it wasn't a good experience for you for being separated from your mum. No, it was pillar to post. Really? From foster home to foster home. And they wouldn't let me phone my mum, they wouldn't let me talk to her, they wouldn't let me write a letter, they wouldn't let me do anything like that. Laura, obviously, you, you know, you, you have a case going on there and I understand that. Um, and I did ask for people who, uh, if you had been through the system, to come on and tell us your story. That's that's another side of it. Laura, thank you very much indeed for, I know, taking the courage to lift the phone because, that's, you know, I could hear the, the nerves there. But thank you very much indeed. And I hope that your, your, your whole situation um, w- with your own kids gets sorted out and that... Uh, your relationship with your mum continues to improve. 
It's 22 minutes away from 12. This is Scotland's Talking. If you have a comment on anything that we've been talking about uh, today so far, if you have just joined us, uh, good morning to you. We've, uh, we started off the programme talking about Jeremy Kyle and his lie detector now off the screens, of course. ITV cancelled the programme, so I've been asking, is it time to get rid of all the so-called reality-type programmes? Uh, also, we, we were talking to the Lib Dem MSP Alex Cole Hamilton, who is starting a debate about a so-called Good Samaritan law. Um, and that's where it would be law uh, to make it illegal for you to walk away and not offer some assistance when assistance was required. And we've been talking about being in the middle of foster care fortnight and the search is on for 580 new families to help kids across Scotland. So those are the things that we've been talking about so far. If you've got a comment on them, I'll give you the ways to get in touch in a second. But I'm just looking at uh, one of the many comments that's come through about various subjects today, and here's one from Lorraine. And she says, Watched Eurovision last night. Do you think we can ever win it again until we are independent? I'm not sure that being independent would automatically guarantee us winning it, I think we've got to come up with whether we're independent or not. Certainly, we're not going, you know, the, the, the rest of Europe probably were voting against us with some political thoughts as well. But I just don't think we come up with a winging act or song. And last night was no different. There's very many kind comments about the young man um, on the media today saying he did really well. I think it was Piers Morgan said you did better than Madonna. No, he didn't. Sorry. You know, we didn't put a good enough act up. That didn't help. Uh, so I'm not quite sure if if we were independent and, put, and Scotland was going in as a country itself. I'm not quite sure that we'd uh, get... I mean, who would we put forward? Who would you suggest that for if Scotland was to go into Eurovision on its own, who would you suggest should represent us from the musical talent that we have in Scotland at the moment? Or treble three twenty twenty four oh one is the number. You can text your thoughts to six one oh five four. Start your message with Ali, and of course you can contact us uh, on Twitter, and that's hashtag Scotland's Talking. Talking about the Good Samaritan Law, uh, comments. Quite a few comments actually uh, coming in. Here's one from Mary. What happened to the boys' brigade and scouts who all get first aid training and youth groups training? For badges. In my day, we all heard about this, and also St John's Ambulance used to have classes as well. I'm sure they still do. Um, many organisations will still have first aid training. It's, you know, there's, there's no reason for us to not pick it up and do something about it ourselves. Uh, John, how are you? Yes, I'm fine, thank you. Good, what's your thoughts? My thoughts is this uh, I don't believe that anybody that's not fully trained should go and try and help somebody who may be in an accident or whatever, they could do a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I saved my son's life by he swallowed a marble and I'd done the Heimlich manoeuvre. And the marble came flying out his mouth. Did you know what and you I were don't doing, know how many people know, Pardon? Did you know what you were doing? Yes. Right, right. Because I, I think many people will have, maybe on television, watched that manoeuvre being, uh, being done and think to themselves... In, in moments of, like you, it must have been very quick and you had to do something about it. Yes. But you had the, a long time ago. Right, but you still had the confidence to do it. Yes. Why? Had you been taught? I've, I'd seen it and I knew about it and I, I didn't even think about it, i just done it. Mm-hmm. 
because I knew about it. Um, but the thing of being, I'm from Glasgow as well, and the city of Glasgow, the people in Glasgow will help anybody, and I've heard that the man from Glasgow talking there, the world just seems to be changing, that people don't want to know. Now, they veer away from helping people. I know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like they're, they're, they're too, they don't want to get involved. Up, they're too wrapped up in their own world, what they're doing, they're, and they seem to, uh, the world is changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also think that to try and make this a law, how many people are in Scotland and how many people is going to do that? Because to me, everybody's going about with a phone. And I think the best thing to do is dial 999. Right, I accept that. But if you're dialing 999 and you can also do something to help in the meantime, you know, it's, it's, and if, if by uh, Alex Cole Hamilton raising this and, and making, if it makes even just one or two people think about actually taking first aid lessons, then surely that has to be a bonus. I understand that, but this, but the, well, my point here is how many people are willing to do that, mm-hmm. and if you're if it's going to be a law that you must do it, then you've got people going for to do something that in the back of their mind they don't really want to do it. Right. Yeah. Take your point, but uh, you know I still think that if I would rather have someone with a little bit of medical knowledge at the side of the road helping me, and if you have that, and and you would have to have it. Uh, under this new uh, Samaritan's Law, um, then that's going to help a lot of people. Let me just read some of the other comments. Thanks, John, uh, that are coming in regarding this. I support Alec Cole Hamilton's aims to set up a good Samaritan law as it's important for us to know that we live in a compassionate society and be sure that someone will come to help and assist anyone when they require help or have medical needs. Knowledge of first aid is an essential life skill and there should certainly be more opportunities for people to be able to learn these skills locally at no or low cost. I hope Alex succeeds. And that comes from Catherine. Catherine, thanks for that. Uh, Tracy uh, sends a text in here. She says, I'm a registered nurse. Sometimes it's not just about providing medical treatment, but offering comfort. Reassurance to the casualty can be beneficial. This makes providing treatment by the first aider much easier. Everybody has the ability to do this, just to calm someone down. And we're on fostering here. And one from Audrey says, I've fostered, oh, I mentioned that, didn't I, that she'd uh, fostered for 20 years and uh, would encourage people to, to get on with it and, and do that if they can, if they're in a position to do it. Um, Stuart from North Berwick says, you know, as well as getting rid of Jeremy Cal, can we please get rid of all the cooking and property shows that are on television? But nothing to watch. That'd be a good idea. Let's take television back to where it was before. It starts at six at night. That'll be fine. Uh, Stuart, thanks for that. Not a fan of the, the cooking and property and reality shows. Um, we're talking there uh, about a, uh, a comment from Lorraine about Eurovision and... Can we ever win it? Uh, I wasn't too sure. And she was asking if if we could win it. That was it. She was asking if we could win it if Scotland um, entered on its own. Uh, Liz says, um, I'm with you. We don't just have enough talented singers today to put forward for the Eurovision. Sadly, I watched it last night. I'm afraid our entry didn't come up to the others. 
Um, no, I'd agree with you on that. I, I don't agree that we've not got the talent. I think we've got the talent. But the talent that is talent wouldn't put themselves forward for it. Would you? Would you sign the end of your career by saying, yes, I'm, I'm the top star, I'm a great you know, musical star? I mean, why would... Um, let's just take Michael Bublé, for instance. Or, well, he's a different country. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, others um, that are going through my mind here. Um, why would they put themselves forward to come last, despite even knowing you know, they have a great song and they could probably win it? Um, I, I think this country... Scotland itself has people that we could put forward. Uh, Calvin Harris. But would he do it? Franz Ferdinand has just been suggested. Um, again, would he do it? I, I would reckon that if Scotland was going in there, it should be the Red Hot Chili Pipers with their rendition of Highland Cathedral. I think that would win it for us, uh, definitely. Um, that's almost it. There are just so many comments that we've had on uh, all the subjects today. Uh, on social media. You can read some of them on my Facebook page. There's a conversation going on there at the moment on all the subjects. Um, and you'll find me on Ali Bally Show. Okay, Ali Bally Show. Look up Facebook and you'll find the comments that are going on there. And I'd be delighted to hear from you as well. Uh, we've had a very busy show. And my apologies to the two or three calls that are still on the line there and people who phoned in and we haven't been able to get back to. Just uh, one of these uh, today that uh, lots of calls coming in about all the subjects. And just a reminder, if you would like to get more information about fostering, I've been asked, we know here, could I please repeat that telephone number? 01412041400 was the number. Uh, if you'd like to uh, find out more from the Fostering Network in Scotland and fosteringnetwork.org.uk will get you onto their webpage as well where you can get information of fostering in any area of Scotland. We'll give you the, the various areas as we heard from, from Sarah. And uh, that's it. I'm leaving it there because I was going to read out some more of the Jeremy Kyle ones, but uh, we could be there all day. Thank you very much indeed for your company. This has been Scotland's Talking.